The Grand Chessboard by Zbigniew Brzezinski Europe's Historic Timetable Although at this stage, the ultimate eastern limits of Europe can neither be defined firmly nor finally fixed, in the broadest sense, Europe is a common civilization, derived from the shared Christian tradition. Europe's narrower Western definition has been associated with Rome in its historical legacy. But Europe's Christian tradition has involved also Byzantium and its Russian Orthodox emanation. Thus, culturally, Europe is more than the Petrine Europe. And the Petrine Europe, in turn, is much more than the Western Europe. Even though, in recent years, the latter has usurped the identity of Europe. Even a mere glance at the map on page 82 confirms that the existing Europe is simply not a complete Europe. Worse than that, it is a Europe in which a zone of insecurity between Europe and Russia can have a suction effect on both, inevitably causing tensions and rivalry. A Charlemagne Europe, limited to Western Europe, by necessity, made sense during the Cold War. But such a Europe is now an anomaly. This is so because in addition to being a civilization, the emerging united Europe is also a way of life, a standard of living and a polity of shared democratic procedures, not burdened by ethnic and territorial conflicts. That Europe, in its formally organized scope, is currently much less than its actual potential. Several of the more advanced and politically stable Central European states, all part of the Western Petrin tradition, notably the Czech Republic, Poland, Hungary, and perhaps also Slovenia, are clearly qualified and eager for membership in Europe and its transatlantic security connection. In the current circumstances, the expansion of NATO to include Poland, the Czech Republic, and Hungary, probably by 1999, appears to be likely. After this initial but significant step, it is likely that any subsequent expansion of the alliance will either be coincidental with or will follow the expansion of the EU. The latter involves a much more complicated process both in the number of qualifying stages and in the meeting of membership requirements. See chart on page 83. Thus, even the first admissions into the EU from Central Europe are not likely before the year 2002, or perhaps somewhat later. Nonetheless, after the first three new NATO members have also joined the EU, both the EU and NATO will have to address the question of extending membership to the Baltic Republics, Slovenia, Romania, Bulgaria, and Slovakia, and perhaps also eventually to Ukraine. It is noteworthy that the prospect of eventual membership is already exercising a constructive influence on the affairs and conduct of would-be members. Knowledge that neither the EU nor NATO wishes to be burdened by additional conflicts pertaining either to minority rights or to territorial claims among their members, Turkey versus Greece is more than enough has already given Slovakia, Hungary, and Romania the needed incentive to reach accommodations that meet the standards set by the Council of Europe. Much the same is true for the more general principle that only democracies can qualify for membership. The desire not to be left out is having an important reinforcing impact on the new democracies. In any case, it ought to be axiomatic that Europe's political unity and security are indivisible. As a practical matter, 
In fact, it is difficult to conceive of a truly united Europe without a common security arrangement with America. It follows, therefore, that states that are in a position to begin and are invited to undertake ascension talks with the EU should automatically also be viewed, henceforth, as subject, in effect, to NATO's presumptive protection. Accordingly, the process of widening Europe and enlarging the transatlantic security system is likely to move forward by deliberate stages. Assuming sustained American and Western European commitment, a speculative but cautiously realistic timetable for these stages might be the following. 1. By 1999, the first new Central European members will have been admitted into NATO, though their entry into the EU would probably not happen before 2002 or 2003. 2. In the meantime, the EU will initiate ascension talks with the Baltic Republics, and NATO will likewise begin to move forward on the issue of their membership as well as Romania's, with their ascension likely to be completed by 2005. At some point in this stage, the other Balkan states may likewise become eligible. 3. Ascension by the Baltic states might prompt Sweden and Finland also to consider NATO membership. 4. Somewhere between 2005 and 2010, Ukraine, especially if in the meantime the country has made significant progress in its domestic reforms and has succeeded in becoming more evidently identified as a Central European country, should become ready for serious negotiations with both the EU and NATO. In the meantime, it is likely that Franco-German-Polish collaboration within the EU and NATO will have deepened considerably, especially in the area of defense. That collaboration could become the Western core of any wider European security arrangement that might eventually embrace both Russia and Ukraine. Given the special geopolitical interest of Germany and Poland in Ukraine's independence, it is also quite possible that Ukraine will gradually be drawn into the special Franco-German-Polish relationship. By the year 2010, Franco-German-Polish-Ukrainian political collaboration, engaging some 230 million people, could evolve into a partnership enhancing Europe's geostrategic depth. See map above. Whether the above scenario emerges in a benign fashion or in the context of intensifying tensions with Russia is of great importance. Russia should be continuously reassured that the doors to Europe are open, as are the doors to its eventual participation in an expanded transatlantic system of security, and perhaps, at some future point, in a new trans-Eurasian system of security. To give credence to these assurances, various cooperative links between Russia and Europe, in all fields, should be very deliberately promoted. Russia's relationship to Europe and the role of Ukraine in that regard are discussed more fully in the next chapter. If Europe succeeds both in unifying and in expanding, and if Russia in the meantime undertakes successful democratic consolidation and social modernization, at some point, Russia can also become eligible for a more organic relationship with Europe. That, in turn, would make possible the eventual merger of the transatlantic security system with a transcontinental Eurasian one. However, as a practical reality, the question of Russia's formal membership will not arise for quite some time to come. And that, if anything, is yet another reason for not pointlessly shutting the doors to it. To conclude, with the Europe of Yalta gone, it is essential that there be no reversion of the Europe of Versailles. 
The end of the division of Europe should not precipitate a step back to a Europe of quarrelsome nation-states, but should be the point of departure for shaping a larger and increasingly integrated Europe, reinforced by a widened NATO and rendered even more secure by a constructive security relationship with Russia. Hence, America's central geostrategic goal in Europe can be summed up quite simply. It is to consolidate, through a more genuine transatlantic partnership, the U.S. bridgehead on the Eurasian continent, so that an enlarging Europe can become a more viable springboard for projecting into Eurasia the international democratic and cooperative order.